Welcome to the Muscle Science for Women podcast. We were just discussing offline how it would be super cool if we could just wear hats that covered our entire faces so we don't have to put any effort into looking halfway decent when we do these recordings because who's got time for that? AKA what I'm doing today. <laughs> you still look great. You always look great. Come on. Nice. Although it is funny that the other day when you had your late game and you sent me the video of the next morning trying to create some content, oh my God. I was just like, yeah, you should go back to sleep. Okay. You don't create content today. <laughs> that was Long day. Yeah, that was, I don't know what I was thinking. It was, it was rough. I had the basketball, it was, yeah, yesterday I had, or the day before I had basketball game at eight o'clock at night, which literally is like, that's late, my bedtime. Um, and then we won, we won the game and it was like actually kind of a surprising win because we played a team that was really, really good. Um, and it was a really good game. And then, you know, a lot of uh, my teammates, you know, go out afterwards and go have a drink or eat or whatever. And usually I just go home because I'm, a grandma i'm like i need to go to bed but because we won and i was like pretty stoked about it i like went out and then i ended up just i get i got home at like 10 30 and i was like oh no now i have to like take a shower and like make my protein ice cream because i was mm. hungry mm. and then it was like i didn't go to sleep till like one o'clock and then my body woke me up at five o'clock and i was like you jerk what uh, and, do you yeah. avoid looking at your aura ring because you're scared or did you like look at it and was it like what happened to you no. So like, I, I mean, I anticipated it being like horrible and it was like, it just basically said that my sleep sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I already knew that. So, um, but then last night I got like eight and a half hours of sleep. So I woke up this morning feeling good, pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar situation just because last night the grandparents took the baby. This is again, the reason why I moved so that we've got like just a little bit more like balance and ability to do these things. And so I wasn't woken up an hour before my body wants to wake up by a toddler uh, for the first time in a long time. So that felt really good. I just got to like stay in bed. I mean, I still got up at like 7.30, right? Which is, I don't know late to some people, early to some people, but normally I'm waking up at like between six and 6.30 and it was just so luxurious to stay in bed. It felt so good. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, we've I have been a having- question. Uh, yeah. Can you like, is it um, technical difficulties potentially? Is the video off a little bit for you or no? Um, I think it looks okay on my side. Okay, because yours is like freezing delayed? a little bit for me. It's delayed, mm. but I can hear you great. So, okay. you know- if anybody's watching, sorry. Well, as I was well, saying offline, <laughs> we, you know, the vast majority of our uh, friends and listeners are, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, send us a message if you want to, but like, you know, the YouTube thing is not really popping. I think a lot of you are listening on your phones while you're exercising and moving around and stuff, which is great. I appreciate anywhere yeah. you want to listen, but I'm like, 100%. how much effort, how much effort do we really have to put into how we look? Because I mean, there's not a whole lot of people watching our podcast. Yeah. I don't know if you, if you guys want us to like, I don't know, make it more, more exciting and like, uh, wear cool Show up in our birthday masks suits. or something. Yeah. Or naked or whatever, however you want to look If the price is right. We'll discuss it. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this podcast is actually not going to be full of us bullshitting like it often <laughs> is where this one is going to be a pretty like informational episode. If you've listened to one of the more recent ones, um, Rachel was kind of diving into hormone replacement therapy for women and the fact that it's a really um, misunderstood 
topic. And there are some very specific reasons for that, a very specific study, especially, um, that has unfortunately kind of steamrolled into really like long lasting misinformation in the like public world that I think has done like a huge disservice to women and our health. And so um, we decided we're going to take an entire episode and just like dive super deep into that study and um, kind of a great little like information packet that Rachel put together. And we're just going to kind of go through it. Um, it's going to be, like you said, like pretty information heavy, pretty dense episode, but I think it's really, really important. And I think it's something that we get asked a ton about. So here is a really great kind of 101, I think. And then we're mm -hmm. going to provide at the end, maybe some resources if you want to dive deeper. And also folks, when you listen to this episode, if you have any specific questions that are coming up or things that you are like, you guys should look more into X, Y, Z or whatever, send us a message, muscle science for women, the number four at gmail.com. And just let us know like what you thought of this episode. If you want more of these kind of deep divey, like real nerd out episodes, um, <laughs> just any, any feedback, the more feedback you give us, the better and the better job we can do for you. So, um, yeah, we're talking HRT today, guys. Awesome. Yeah. So I think just one, one thing I want to start with, um, is really just like a disclaimer because we are not HRT experts, experts. Mm -hmm. We don't obviously prescribe HRT. Um, and so the biggest thing here is we're trying to just provide you with information, um, and clearing up some misinformation that you might've heard from media sources or even from your current physician, um, your doctor, your OBGYN, you know, there's, and we'll dive a little bit deeper into this, but um, there is a lot of fear mongering that has occurred over the past 20 years since this WHI study came out um, that is just based off a lot of inaccurate information. Um, and so that's what we want to clear up here. Like we want to just give you the information um, based off of the research that we've done. Um, but we do, you know, just want to give a disclaimer that the all of this information is just for educational purposes only. Mm -hmm. um, you shouldn't, you know, it's not meant to be taken as medical advice or to replace the advice of your physician. Obviously, um, when it comes to anything health, nutrition, physical activity related, um, it is important for you to be your own advocate and yes. to do your own research. And so that's what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to, um, you know, say that your physician is wrong or anything like that. But um, especially when it comes to kind of like the average medicine that we see, you know, Mm -hmm. modern medicine, it, there is um, a very huge piece to doing your own research and asking a lot of questions, right? So yeah. if I were to tell you to take anything away from this podcast, it would be to take some notes, maybe do your own, do more research about this subject yourself, especially if this is something that you are um, interested in. If you're a woman, like every single female, I believe should be informed about this, um, but also ask your doctor questions, right? If you are currently taking HRT, right? If you are interested in it, whatever it may be, ask questions, right? And yeah. if they don't have the answers or if they kind of push you off and say, oh no, like that doesn't matter, that's a red flag, right? Yeah. That's a red flag, meaning that they might not have the education, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and just because, again, I I'm diving deep into this because just because someone is a an OBGYN or a, a doctor and they've been a doctor for a while, it doesn't mean that they specialize in hormone replacement therapy. They're actual physicians and people who do specialize in that and know the research and know all about it. So anyway, mm -hmm. with and, all that being and, said, yeah. And again, like just again, piggybacking on what you're saying, because this is something that I think is, is a, 
uh, issue um, in sort of our medical relationship as a whole, and especially with women. We're not saying, again, your doctors are wrong, um, and we're not saying modern medicine is bad. What we're saying is that you should feel empowered to ask questions, and you can bring information like this to your questions, to your your physician or your doctor. Um, you're allowed to. Don't feel like because they're the expert, they're the doctor, that you aren't allowed to speak up and advocate for yourself. And it doesn't mean you have to go in and be like, hey, I heard all doctors are terrible and quacks and like everything's <laughs> yeah. wrong. But it's like, hey, Not I read this study, I read this thing, and this thing's telling me that this thing is interesting. Like, what do you think about this? What do you know? You're allowed to speak up for yourself and you should, and you should never feel like you can't. And if your doctor makes you feel like you're an asshole for asking questions, that's not a good doctor. So again, it's just like, it's all in the spirit of learning. We're not trying to be black or white. This is always good. This is always bad. This person's always right or wrong. It's just like information is power and you should use it and feel empowered to use it as it, you know, applies to you. Yeah, absolutely agree. Okay. So again, in this episode, we're really going to be just kind of diving into the um, Women's Health Initiative, which is a very, um, it's one of the, it was one of the largest ever hormone replacement therapy clinical trials um, that began in, when was it? I have a note here. I'm already like losing my. It was in the early 90s, my wasn't notes. it? Early 90s. Yeah. I have exactly. 1993. 1993. Yeah. So again, this podcast is going to be kind of diving into this study because it was a huge milestone in the, um, in women's health for potentially a negative, uh, neg has a lot of negative connotations around it because of the misinformation that came out of it mm -hmm. um, and because of the media and because of some of the red flags that we're going to dive into now. Um, but, you know, there's so much more that goes, that surrounds HRT. So this episode will be focused on this. And then of course, you know, as you give us questions and send in questions and comments and things like that, we can dive into more specifics and continue to do our own research for, for future episodes. Mm -hmm. um, so a little bit of background information on the Women's Health, in Health Initiative, again, uh, short for WHI. Again, it was the largest ever hormone placement therapy clinical trial, and it was designed to investigate strategies for the prevention and control of different chronic diseases, um, specifically looking at postmenopausal women. So things like cardiovascular disease, cancer, um, of course, breast cancer specifically, and then things like osteoporotic fractures. So this study was funded by uh, an organization that many have probably heard of, the National Institute of Health or NIH. And it involved over 160,000 women between the ages of 50 and 79, with the average age being around 62. Um, and one thing that I want to make sure that we cover um, here is that, <clears throat> and something a lot of people don't know, is there are um, different types of hormone replacement therapies out there, mm -hmm. right? And the main, the two main categories, I guess you could say, and they're kind of the parent categories and there's a bunch of different types underneath those, which we're not going to get into, into today. Um, but there are synthetic hormones, right? Yeah. Synthetic hormone replacement therapy and then bioidentical hormones. So that is one thing that we want to just kind of overall mention. And it's kind of the first red flag that comes out of the this this big study is that they used synthetic hormones, Right. Only. So only yeah. only use synthetic hormones. So the two main uh, synthetic hormones, which you've probably or maybe heard of these, uh, were Primarin 
and Prempro. So Premarin is um, consists of what is called a conjugated equine estrogen. And this is basically estrogen that's made from the urine of pregnant horses. Um, so that was one of the, the main um, synthetic hormones used. And then the other one was Prempro, which is the, uh, the equine estrogen combined with progestin which is not the same as progesterone. Right. So that's another very important thing to understand. Progestin is what we find a lot in the, that is what is in birth control, right? Mm -hmm. That's the main um, component of a lot of birth controls, progestin. It is not the same as progesterone. And again, the biggest difference between synthetic hormones is that synthetic hormones are not identical to the hormones that are made in our body, right? right. While bioidentical hormones, right, those are exactly the same structure as the hormones in our body. So they act the same way and our body recognizes those. Um, so bioidentical really just means body identical, right? So they are identical to the hormones made in our body. And um, we're not going to dive too much into the reasoning behind this, but for most people, for everybody to kind of understand uh, just why they would not use bioidentical hormones or why a lot of doctors don't use bioidentical hormones uh, even today is because there is no money in yeah. bioidentical hormones. You cannot patent a hormone that is uh, uh, made in your body, right? There's, yeah. there, you're, you're not allowed to do that. Um, so the, you know, the pharmaceutical companies, you know, all that, they have to find a way around that. And they do by basically altering the structure or um, finding a, a mechanism of entry for that structure that they can patent. And when they can patent that, then they can sell it. Right. So that's a, a little background information there. There's a lot more to that, but that's doesn't just kind it, of an overview. Doesn't it kind of remind you and look, we're not going to be a conspiracy theory podcast here, but doesn't it kind of remind <laughs> you of like the, the overarching food issues we have too, where like there's way less money to be made in like unprocessed real food because you just, there just isn't. And so instead we create all these like Franken foods that we can package up and put all these meaningless labels about how healthy and good and natural they are uh, and make a ton of money off people <laughs> being unhealthy. Oh, and then all those studies that are done about how meat is terrible for you and kills you and how fat is so bad for you, even though these are foods we've eaten our entire lives because it was just poorly misinterpreted information that then is perpetuated for years <laughs> and years. Anyway... Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out just there, a, but it's like yeah. our systems are broken anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, it's not that we're <clears throat> saying like, oh, all of these, you know, big companies are bad and they're out to get us and the FDA sucks. Know. Like, no, 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 no. We're not saying that there is a, the, there's a use for that. The FDA definitely has its place. <clears throat> there's a lot that goes on there that some people um, don't understand. Right. So that's not at all what we're saying. But again, this is to inform you of really just wanting to, to get dive a little bit deeper and, um, you know, give you some of this information so you can go do some more research on your own too. And, and um, the thing is, I know, I know we're going off on a tangent, but like, again, there, there's a difference. This is why there's no nuance in the world anymore, because there's either you're a conspiracy theorist who thinks that like big pharma is out to personally kill all of us or the opposite where it's like, we have to remember that like businesses and corporations and companies and everything, like 
it not, it's not evil per se, but like their goals are different than our goals. Their goals are to make money. Our goal is to like be healthy and like vibrant and take care of ourselves. And those goals aren't always the same. So again, it's like, we don't have to go totally like tinfoil hat over here, but mm -hmm. we have to remember this is why this education is important. So you can make your own educated decisions because big companies don't care about you as an individual the way we, mm -hmm. maybe the way they they say they do or the way we would hope for them to do because that's not how capitalism and companies and money-making works. Yeah. Anyway, I know this is a tangent, sorry. Yeah. Okay, continue. No, yeah, no. And then, yeah, big companies plus the media, right? Yeah, they don't too, yeah. have typically your personal interest in mind. So um, those two things, the, the synthetic hormones combined with the fear-mongering that occurred um, with the media that came out of this study, which, which Ash is going to dive into next, um, those two things really had just a very, um, a very bad impact on, um, you know, 20 years ago when, when this came out, when things mm -hmm. started coming out about the WHI. So, yeah, so Ash is going to dive in, but the first kind of red flag to be aware of, and we're going to go through a bunch of red flags um, that come about from this. The first one is they only use synthetic hormones in right. all of the study, right? Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. Okay. And so as Rachel said, the study, it was started in 1993. It was supposed to run for 15 years, but they discontinued it in 2002, which is only five years later after it was started because early findings showed a statistically insignificant increased risk of breast cancer and cardiovascular issues with the use of PremPro, which is, as Rachel said, this combined equine estrogen and the progestin. So a thing to really note here is that the findings were not statistically significant. It's a really important uh, aspect of scientific research outcomes. And the thing that I think people also need to understand about the difference between uh, statistically significant and insignificant, it's not necessarily about numbers. It's that when something is statistically insignificant, it means that there isn't statistical evidence that the difference in the two groups were not just due to chance or other factors, right? So that's really important to, to take into account is if they can't prove that whatever this outcome is, is a result of the thing that they were focusing on or trying to study, it could have been anything. It could have been chance or luck or any other confounding variables. That's when it's statistically insignificant. So I mean, that's a really, really important thing to remember as we're talking about this study. So basically, as a result of this statistically insignificant outcome that they found five years in, hormone replacement therapy for women was basically like thrown out the window um, across the board, which as we're going to see is like to the detriment of a lot of women and their health. Um, and it's not surprising to me that this is a women's health study that was just like, hey, we found some information and we're just not going to bother diving into it properly. And here we go. So basically, when the findings came to light, the director of the WHI study wrote up the findings, submitted them to this medical journal called the Journal of the American Medical Association, really prestigious, well-respected journal um, known as JAMA. The director submitted these findings as if they were statistically significant, even though they were not. So, I mean, we don't know, it doesn't, we don't know if that was like a purposefully misleading thing or if it was just misinterpretation. You'd think that the director of the WHI would know the difference, but anyway, so they were submitted as if, as if this was a really significant finding. The journal accepted these findings without input from the majority of the study committee members. They published the data along with a press release to the media 
that stated major NIH study stopped for breast cancer harm. This is categorically false. So that basically started this like huge, like snowball of nightmare misinformation. The media, of course, ran with these misinterpreted results, published headlines that immediately just invoked total fear and hysteria. And this, again, kind of compounded out to like medical providers, the general public, um, all of a sudden patients on HRT were, are thinking they're going to get breast cancer and heart disease, they're going to die early, insurance companies, doctors, everybody was contacting their patients and telling them that this was true and that they had to stop HRT. So just like that at this point, 75% of prescriptions for HRT were thrown away. This is crazy. Yeah. In, the, in the months and years following this news, July 2002 now, researchers and clinicians tried to clarify the misinformation. So there are people out there who are actually paying attention and reading deeper into this and saying, wait a minute, this is actually, there's more to it. Um, however, it didn't work because again, <laughs> you know, stuff like this isn't as sexy as if you take this, you're going to die of breast cancer, right? So it's really, again, unfortunate that the media prefers to, to you know, run with sensational stuff rather than accurate stuff. Um, so the damage was kind of done at that point. And to this day, we're now 20 years and then some after this, doctors and patients are still holding on to this flawed data or still just kind of, oh, I heard somewhere that this is bad. And again, because we all know that there is a long precedent of sort of not caring about or respecting women's health and our specific needs and challenges. I think there just kind of wasn't really much done about it. It's like, okay, well, it's unhealthy and it's bad, so you're just gonna have to deal with whatever your symptoms are and HRT really isn't for you. So that's kind of where we almost are. Um, and now we need to kind of dive in and understand why this study is so flawed and some of the like major kind of issues with it. So Rachel, mm -hmm. you're gonna continue with that? Yeah, for sure. So of course there was, you know, there's a lot of specifics, you know, within the methods, within the different groups in the study and, you know, all of those specifics, we will link resources to obviously the study um, and then also some interpretations of the study as well. So if you are interested in like specifics, you know, specific numbers in terms of, you know, how they divided it out, how they, you know, went through all of that, um, you can obviously do some more research yourself there. But we do want to just kind of dive in a little bit deeper into some more of those red flags, as Ash mentioned. Um, so like what went wrong? Like why was this study so flawed? Um, what can we kind of learn from it? And to just give you a little bit of a deeper dive there. So there were, um, on top of the synthetic versus bioidentical, there were three other main issues um, that caused the negative outcomes in the study. But again, we're going to go through these issues, and I still want everybody to just understand, too, that even with, you know, the issues here, it is still important to understand that the outcomes of the study were still not significantly, not statistically significant, right? Okay, so that's very, very important, right, to understand that in general as we talk about this. Um, so on top of that, there was tons of other issues. So the first one um, was the amount and the consi consistent use of progestin, which is the synthetic form of progesterone, right? So um, in terms of progestin, I'm just going to kind of give you some facts here for uh, within the study. So the daily synthetic progestin was prescribed to women in one of the groups in very high doses. 
So progestin levels vary throughout the month as we, or sorry, yeah, progesterone levels vary throughout the month as we know. Um, and supplementation should in general just be, you know, looked at in, in that regard, right? In regard to a woman's kind of normal cyclical patterns. And they just didn't really regard that when they put together the, the study here, right? So that's just kind of one um, one red flag there. Um, and then additionally, women who, um, just so, so people understand, women with a uterus, right? There was different groups within the study. Some had a uterus, some had a hysterectomy, so their uterus was removed. Mm-hmm. Um, so women with a uterus need to balance systemic estrogen therapy with progesterone to protect that uterine lining from what is called hyperplasia. So hyperplasia, if if you don't know, it's a scientific term. It just means the enlargement of an organ or tissue that can be caused by an increase in the reproduction of cells um, and often is initial stage in the development of cancer. So that's important to understand too. And then additionally, synthetic progesterones, progestins, sorry, can and should be, as we mentioned, replaced with bioidentical progesterone, um, which has, since this study has come out and over the last 20 years, tons more research and research before that, which has been proven to be safe and well tolerated. So again, the biggest red flag with this is going back to the synthetic um, progestin versus progesterone, and then also the amount that was given, right? Mm-hmm. So the amount um of progestin that was used that was not in line with um, what a kind of a normal cyclical pattern would look like. Um, So did that make, was that confusing? No, no, that makes sense. I mean, basically (laughs) right out, right out the gate, like the whole thing that they were trying to, to study, which is this like supplementation, this hormone replacement therapy, they weren't even kind of doing it right in terms of amounts and yeah, they weren't paying attention to what was actually needed. Yes. Um, so the second issue is the failure to recognize the impact of age when starting hormone replacement therapy. So the ages of the women involved, it was already kind of problematic. The average age of the women in the study was 62, which is more than a decade over the average age of menopause starting, which is around 51. That's two decades past when perimenopause can start, which deep breath guys can be as early as 35 for some women. Um, but basically kind of what that's saying, I think is that the majority of the women in the study were kind of well past when HRT would be the most beneficial for them. Um, because it's really during perimenopause and then also sort of like the beginning stages, the early stages of menopause when, um, the symptoms are happening and like when hormone replacement therapy would kind of have its greatest benefit. It's like earlier is better, obviously. Um, the study was blinded. So basically women in the study didn't know if they were receiving HRT or placebo and also women under the age of 50. So there's a a great group of women under the age of 50 that could sort of have benefited or provided valuable information in this study. They were excluded um, because I guess estrogen therapy would reduce their symptoms. They would essentially know that they were in the group getting the HRT and not the placebo group, meaning they'd be unblinded, like they would they would know and that could impact the results. Um, yet 21% of women in the study were over the age of 70 had never taken hormone replacement therapy prior to this. So these study participants had already gone years uh, with suboptimal hormone levels, which is at that point already putting them at a higher risk for cancer, heart disease, all these diseases that they were kind of studying for and then saying, you know, the hormone replacement therapy could potentially 
increase your risk. These people already maybe had increased risk due to their age and having suboptimal hormone levels um, to begin with. So it was kind of something that was like maybe already existing and they were blaming the study um, on it. Um, so yeah, basically if you've been taking, if you've not been taking HRT, you're 10 years postmenopausal, you're already at a slightly increased risk um, when you start HRT. So that's, I guess, another point when you're starting it after not having had hormone replacement therapy, there's going to be a brief period um, where you have a slightly increased risk um, because you've been in a hormone deficient state for a while. So when you come back and bring the hormones back for about a year or so, you do have a slightly um, higher risk and then it kind of goes back down. Um, so basically you need to be doing it intelligently with a doctor who really knows what they're doing as far as HRT goes. And in this case, the study was not that. Um, so there was really a, a huge gap in the age range of the women receiving treatment. Um, it doesn't reflect a realistic age range for the women who are going to be doing HRT in the real world. So um, the ages and the women that were studied, it was really kind of flawed from the beginning. Does that all make sense? Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. just like, if you just kind of think about it practically, like if you, when you would implement HRT would be during the, the perimenopausal years, right? And if we know that the average age of menopause is 51, then it would be, you know, for most women starting in your 40s, right? Yes. And none of no women under the age of 50 were in this study. So that doesn't like, it just doesn't make practically sense. make any sense. It's like right? if there was like, if they were testing a drug for like, um, uh, puberty symptoms and they were giving it to all 30 year olds or something. It's like, yeah, eh, you're missing the boat. Here, exactly. Guys. That's yeah. exactly what it is. It just, yeah. so that's a, just like a huge, another piece. So it's like this, it, it just doesn't make sense. Right. No. Um, so that was, of course, another issue. The next issue, which we tend to see happens, I mean, pretty much a lot in a lot of different types of studies like this, um, not specifically like this, but just other studies that are done in with anything else is really just ignoring other health issues, right? So the third kind of red flag or fourth, I don't remember what number we're on, um, was that a lot of these participant, participants, <laughs> participants had prior health issues. Right. So many of them were obese. They smoked, they drank alcohol, right? All of these factors increase, of course, the risk of developing diseases such as breast cancer, cardiovascular issues, all that jazz, right? Mm -hmm. So that is very, very important to understand too, because we can't say that, um, and this is the, the flaw, a huge flaw of this, because you can't say HRT caused these um, right. issues if all of these other things were going on. And another thing was that a lot of these women were already exhibiting the signs and symptoms of some of mm -hmm. these diseases before they even started the study. Mm -hmm. So like, how does that even make any sense? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not excusing this particular study at all. But when you, again, when you kind of like learn more about all the factors that go into these like wide ranging large studies, it's so difficult to get conclusive evidence because if you're using subject groups that are hundreds of thousands of people, there are always going to be these outlying factors because everybody's an individual who does their own thing. Like, are you going to be able to find 161,000 women who never drink, never smoke, are a healthy body weight, yeah. exercise regular, like all have the same life. Like that's not a thing. So like, I, I mean, I guess that's where the statistically significant or insignificant stuff 
comes into play because if the results were so, so massive, right? Like there's a 70% increase in whatever, then you could say, okay, yeah, there's, there's something going on here with the HRT. But again, even with all of these other factor, factors, it was still like statistically insignificant. Anyway, uh, mm -hmm. scientific yeah. study is hard, guys. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, is. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So the next issue... Um, this is the last issue, right? The use mm -hmm. of, and this yeah. one kind of ties into what I mentioned before, but this goes like, you'll talk about this one a little bit more. This kind of goes into, um, there, like I mentioned, there was different groups within the study, which we didn't go dive into too deeply, but Ash is going to kind of just give you like a rundown of, of the results, um, with that. Yeah. So basically it's a red flag. It's not necessarily like not necessarily right or wrong because there, I guess there is a place for synthetic hormone. I mean, you know, the reality is that's what's available to a lot of people, but they only used synthetic hormones, specifically progestin, which we were talking about earlier, um, not bioidentical. And so as we we remember we talked about bioidentical hormones are ones that have the same structure as the hormones already flowing in our bodies. They fit perfectly into our hormone receptors. Our body knows them, they recognize them, they know how to use and break them down and metabolize them, our body accepts those better. And again, I'm not a doctor, but it seems to make sense that things that exactly mimic the stuff that we already have in our body, it's we're gonna accept it better. It just makes sense that bioidentical hormones would probably be a better bet, right? And mm -hmm. WHI study shows clearly that the progestin, the synthetic hormone that was used was the main cause of the issues in group one. So it's the synthetic progesterone. I'm not going to try to pronounce it's like full <laughs> long name because I don't know what human can do that, but it's a potent growth stimulator. acetate. Oh, okay. All right. Flex on them. Medroxyprogesterone acetate. Actually, will you break it down? Medroxyprogesterone acetate. Yeah. Okay. It's not that bad. It's just a lot of letters, guys. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a potent growth stimulator in breast tissue. It can increase breast density, which on the surface might sound like something people want, but it's not. It can potentially contribute to abnormalities in breast tissue, potentially possibly increasing risk of breast cancer. So additionally to all of this, the fact that they use the synthetic progestin that is not ideal. There was no increased risk of breast cancer found in group two, those who received the Primarin, which again was the synthetic estrogen only, the horse estrogen. There was no increased risk of breast cancer found in that group. So really it was only the other group that had the synthetic progestin. In group Alone, two, yeah. yes, in group two, the ones who had the synthetic horse estrogen, there were actually positive benefits, including a 33% decreased risk of hip fracture, 37. And these, again, these numbers sound a little bit more significant, right? Like a little bit like less likely to explain away with other factors. I would say, again, as a non-doctor or scientist, a 37% decreased risk of colorectal cancer, a significant reduction in menopausal symptoms. So that's pretty significant. There was one problematic synthetic progestin that seemed to cause the potential issues. Um, and there was no even consideration of using bioidentical hormones. Because again, as Rachel said, there's no money in that. So sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, those were kind of just the main red flags um, and issues that kind of stood out to us as we were doing our research and um, we do, you know, again, this is, we're giving you information. There are other things that went on, right? Um, and it's important to just take all this and just have the information, right? Because mm -hmm. 
uh, what's that saying? It's like, you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. right? Which yep. is like so true. So mm-hmm. if now after, and we're going to, I'm going to go through some kind of conclusions and um, a few other things that we want to make sure we're, we're being aware of too, if you do decide to go down the HRT route. Um, but, you know, for now, now that you kind of are, oh, at least you've heard this once maybe, or maybe a few times, um, now you kind of have a better idea of like, what went wrong <laughs> and, and I think why at the very, it was so significant. At the very least, we again have so many clients, people signing up for our programs, people reaching out to us for the podcast who are asking so many questions because they're at that perimenopausal, menopausal age. They're seeing changes, they're seeing symptoms, they're maybe miserable, and they don't know what to do. And of course, the vast majority of, of these folks, and I, I commend them for it, are trying to do like natural lifestyle stuff first, which is pretty much always should be the first line of defense, right? Because again, like supplementation, drugs, magic pills, whatever, are never going to fix if your stress and exercise and food and all that stuff is out of whack. But I think that especially for women and even for men, honestly, back in the day, like I know there were times when like the idea of HRT and people immediately just are like steroids, you on steroids, like you take an HGH, like you trying to be a bodybuilder, what are you doing? Whereas that, that I feel like that culture has changed, shifted dramatically with men. And I know, cause again, we're kind of at that age. Like I have lots of friends who are in the sort of like their forties or like late thirties, forties who are like healthy men who take good care of themselves who are like, yeah, I'm getting HRT because I want to optimize my health. I want to, you know, feel as good as I possibly can. And that's something that's discussed and people know about it and they can feel like they want to talk to their doctors. Women less so. I think women think like, well, what does that mean? Am I going to like get on testosterone or is it, is it, does it mean there's something wrong with me or, you know, because we don't have mm-hmm. the information and people don't talk about it as much. So that's again, why I think this information is so important and why at the very least you should just feel if it's the place in life that you're at and you're, you're asking these questions, you should feel like you can talk to your healthcare providers about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it has, I think what's, what's positive that's happening at least right now. And, um, about, I believe it was about two weeks ago. This was actually on the today show. Mm. Um, so it became, you know, it, it's out there and it's becoming more like people are becoming more aware of all of these flaws that came out of this study. Unfortunately, it's 20 years later, (laughs) which kind of sucks, but at least it's happening. Um, so kind of just concluding, you know, all of this, despite, you know, a lot of the confusion and misinformation that came out of this, there are experts in, you know, different societies, which will all kind of list out a few, if you want to dive in and, you know, don't believe us, believe the people who do this for a living (laughs) Um, that do agree that HRT is safe, um, especially for, you know, recently menopausal women or women in the perimenopause stage. So uh, societies like the North American Menopause Society, the American Society for for Reproductive Medicine, the Endocrine Society, and the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health do take the position that in general, HRT is safe. Um, So, HRT can be safe and effective in specifically ways to reduce symptoms that come with perimenopause and menopause, such as, you know, we've all heard of hot flashes, insomnia is a huge Mm -hmm. one, weight gain, gain, mood changes, cognitive Mm -hmm. decline, bone loss. That's huge, right? Bone loss, muscle loss. Loss of libido, all the sexual stuff. Yeah. All of that stuff. Yeah. And then not only that, not only the symptom side of things, but can also reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease, breast cancer, bone fractures, dementia, 
other things like that, right? So it's not just the symptom side of things, which I think this is really important to understand too, for a lot of women, like even if you don't have symptoms, that's a, that's a big thing. Even if you're in perimenopause and you don't have many of these symptoms or they kind of come and go, there actually still can be benefits to HRT replacement that are related to the redu- the reduction in risk for all these other things mm-hmm. that we mentioned, mm-hmm. right? So that's another piece to kind of look into too for your own um, well-being and, and your own aging gracefully, right? Mm-hmm. So again, the reason why many women are still scared of HRT is due to lack of education, right? And lack of up-to-date information provided by many healthcare professionals um, as well as misinformation and, of course, fear-mongering by the media. Mm-hmm. So this is another thing to, to understand again, and I'm just, I really just want to drive this point home. Even if your doctor is like, no, HRT is like bad or you don't need it, if they, if they say that or, you know, they're prescribing you synthetic, per, for example, synthetic forms of HRT, like progestin, um, and they're saying that there's no other options available, that is a red flag. Okay, Mm -hmm, that's all I'm saying. mm -hmm, Like, ask mm -hmm. questions, do your research, because there are other options. And that's what we're trying to to basically give you the information is that there are other options out there. And even if it's something that's common, right, even if the doctor that you have is prescribing these common things and they have they've been doing it for years, it doesn't mean it's necessarily the most optimal thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why this information is important. And again, with, you know, the media, we all know that once the media runs with something, uh, no matter what it is, and starts to fear monger about it, it can be very, very hard to undo that fear. And, you know, we know how how powerful that can be. And when people get fear in their minds, right, I know even for me too, like when I hear something or, you know, the whole red meat craze, like that was a huge thing, right? When people get fear in their minds, mm-hmm. they, you know, it sticks there, right? And it mm-hmm. takes twice or three tons and tons as much work to undo that fear even if you are presented like we are doing right now with the factual scientific evidence it's still it's still something that's very very hard to undo and so that's why we encourage you to stay away from these headlines that you might see in the media no matter what it pertains to because more likely than not they're just trying to get your attention Mm -hmm. they don't care right? About your well-being. They, they don't care about that. Mm-hmm. The media specifically just wants to get, you know, advertisers. So they want you to click, they yeah. want you to click on something so that advertisers yeah. will pay them more. So yeah. exactly. So that's why getting your information from trusted sources, hopefully you trust us, um, and then diving deeper and asking questions, right? That is, that's what we're really trying to do here is just, again, you don't know what you don't know. So as the more you're informed, the more education, the more information that you have that is um, accurate is mm-hmm. obviously beneficial. Yep. All right. So do you want to dive into just like the last kind of, I, I think this piece is important. You already kind of talked about it a little bit, but in terms of, you know, yeah. the other health side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So again, like, because we all love to be very black and white about things, we're not saying like, this study is false, so HRT, get on it. It's going to fix everything. (laughs) Nothing fixes everything except, I don't know, maybe a good night's sleep and some like chocolate ice cream or something. But (laughs) it's, it's an option. It's an option with tons of potential and a lot of research that it could potentially be very, very good for you. So you should look into it. You should do your research. You should talk to your, your 
doctor about it, but it doesn't fix everything. And again, it should be sort of the next step after doing all the other unsexy things that we talk about constantly, like eating enough good food, exercising appropriately for your life and for your body and for your current stage that you're in, for optimizing and prioritizing your sleep and rest and recovery and gut health and mental health. All of these things, like no big deal, just get your mind and gut right. Like it's easy, it's not, but do it anyway because it's worth it because it's literally what creates our quality of life. And these are the things that we have to do first because when all of that is sorted out, your hormones will largely do what they're supposed to be doing. They'll be more receptive. They'll be, you know, working better and also probably be more receptive to the HRT that is going to be coming down the line. Right. So, um, that's important. Just do all the other good things, do all the things that we are telling you to do all day, every day. That's the really important first step. Um, and then we do have some, you know, basically, like we said, you know, this is this was sort of a deep dive on a specific study and kind of all of the ways that it these things can go wrong. Um, if you have more specific questions about hormone replacement therapy, about hormonal health and optimizing it as we age, send us a message so that we, you know, know what you want us to talk about. But Rachel did recommend a couple books too, that if you want to, you know, old school books, guys, those are still mm -hmm. good and important. And if you want to do some sort of further reading, do you want to talk about those? Yeah, sure. So the, I mean, there's, there's a bunch and there's more coming out, but yeah. two of the ones that I've um, read myself and find very, very interesting. And especially, I will say, especially if you're a woman who is currently on HRT, and even mm -hmm. if you have been on HRT for years, um, there, the specific book, Happy Healthy Hormones, dives into lots of specifics around the different types, um, you know, why you might choose one or the other, why you may want to switch from one to the other. Um, there's, there's lots of information in there. And I think that, honestly, every single female mm -hmm. in the world should read that book. Um, and then the Estrogen Matters book is, uh, we'll, we'll link these in the show yeah, notes Yeah, too. I was going to say. Um, yeah. Estrogen Matters is another one that that uh, debunks a lot of the misinformation surrounding um, the estrogen myth. So that there's lots of different myths out there, but um, mainly the one surrounding breast cancer and that HRT causes breast cancer, which we know now that based off of this study, which is what a lot of people refer to, yeah. um, was not accurate. Mm -hmm. um, so that book just dives, it's written by um, a breast cancer oncologist. His name is um, Dr. Avram Blumming. Um, and it, and then also another one, Carol Tavris. So both of them together, it dives into just the topic in detail, you know, debunks a lot of things and just gives you more information surrounding that. So those are kind of the two books that I've personally read and found beneficial um and then well there's also obviously other references and things like that which we'll link in the show notes um yep. but yeah yep we'll put lots of information there for you guys co to continue to nerd out and um do your research but thank you for listening this was great i think we should kind of end off this deep intense um chat with some some of our usual for i guess <laughs> a new installment of um ice cream science for women um <laughs> But first, I want to say that I, and I'm going to be posting this once I like relearn how to make like a good reel because I'm old and I don't care and I, I'm finding this stuff increasingly uh, tedious. But anyway, I'm going to do it because that's what you have to do when you're on social media. 
I created a latte, like an iced latte, has to be iced, obviously, because that's how I drink them. Yes. Um, Using some like very hardcore coffee making methods because Alex is like a huge coffee snob. I'm not. I'm like, get me some pre-made cold brew and like call it a day. And he's like, Japanese pour over, fancy, fancy. And I need to like grind my own beans and stuff. And I'm like, who's got the time for that? Anyway, now that bubs, so you know they have coffee, obviously, they also have like, they have beans, like bags of beans, and they also have ground coffee, which is better for me because I don't want to take the time to do it. And so I made this latte with the like pour over method. And I had to like research how to do it for hot coffee or for cold coffee. Cause the problem is when you're making your own cold coffee at home and you're not just doing like a cold brew method, if you're doing like a quick method, you have to find a way to cool it without watering it down. So it tastes like garbage, right? So there's like a lot of alchemy that goes into this. And the first time I did it, I followed some instructions on the internet that I don't know if it was Satan himself that put it out there, but the <laughs> amount of caffeine, the strength of this coffee, maybe it was supposed to be concentrate and they just didn't put it in the rest. Like maybe you're supposed to water it down, but they didn't say that. And I made it. Yeah. And this, like, have you ever had a coffee so strong that like you have a sip of it and you're like, I'll have a panic attack if I drink like an ounce of this. Like yeah. truly, I was just like, this is beyond rocket fuel. So I was like, okay, I'm going to adjust it. So I literally used half the amount, maybe Bubs is just like strong and potent and I don't need it as much. I don't know. But I used half the amount and then I used the Bubs creamer because, you know, they have this creamer that has MCT and um, grass-fed milk and it's really delicious. It doesn't sweeten it at all because I know a lot of listeners don't like any sweetness in their coffee, which is fine. So I did that and it it was the perfect iced coffee and I was super proud of myself, but I did almost die <laughs> trying to learn because I made it way too strong the first time. So that's my adventures in like making delicious treats. Um, it was eventually successful and it's thanks to Bubs for providing us all of these um, delicious treats. And I also am going to say, unfortunately, I don't have the information yet, but part of our Bubs partnership there we're going to be doing some really fun stuff behind the scenes like we want to make it a bit more exciting than just like hey it's bubs and they're you know here's a discount code which there is a discount code it's msw20 20 percent off anything you buy which is a good discount um but we're going to be doing like every month or so in the summer we're going to be doing like a special either like giveaway or a special offer where you can like really get some cool um add-ons and one of them i'm just gonna i'm just gonna like tease it right now because I don't have the exact offer, but it's going to be Bubs times August Sun, my jewelry company. And I'm going to be giving away a piece of beautiful, fine jewelry um, with another kind of offering from Bubs. So no big deal. You can get some jewelry from me. Very excited about it. Um, But yeah, that's Bubs. More info on that to come, but it's just bubsnaturals.com our discount code, you're supporting us when you use it, is MSW20. So that's that. Do you have any ice cream adventures you want to share? Um, so, I mean, I'm still on the ice cream game every night, pretty much. Of course. Um, <laughs> um, I think I shared this last time, the Oreo. Did I share yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Active Sex Oreo. Yeah. Yeah, um, I've been doing that a lot. I've we been did doing, have- like, we did have a mild online disagreement about the mint chip that I made the other day because you were oh, like, yeah. crazy people like mint chip. And I'm like, I'll fight you. And then we just decided to like live and let live. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, a lot of people like mint. Uh, what yeah. we've had this as well. I don't like mint anything in unless it's in my toothpaste or maybe tea, right. like All on right. occasion. Fine. Um, but I know a lot of people like mint chip ice cream and Correct. Active Stacks vanilla is yeah. great if you want like vanilla mint chip or obviously chocolate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Oreo one I've been making with the black cocoa powder so i'm mixing the active sex chocolate with um like five grams of black cocoa powder and it literally tastes like an oreo um i'm still disappointed that you haven't made like a squash related ice cream like that's a thing yeah it could be a thing it could be a thing but like i i love squash so much that like you don't want to i just want to eat it in my in the purest form so like putting it into ice cream it's just like to me it just like i don't see any benefit in that because i'm already gonna be eating the squash (laughs) here's my thought but it's it's all about self it's all about experimentation and like you know know. because here's the thing how do you feel about pumpkin spice how do you feel about pumpkin pie i'm it's 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 okay it's not like oh my gosh i want pumpkin pie like right now or like i'm gonna go pumpkin spice season like I'm actually like, I feel like I liked it at the beginning. And then when it like turned into a thing, I was like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. But pumpkin spice or like, you know, uh, sweet potato pie, like those things when done well are very good. So all you have to do is turn like sweet potato slash squash pie taste into ice cream, like some vanilla protein, some good like pumpkin pie spice, a little bit of squash. I think it could be really amazing. And I think you would be giving your audience what they're yearning for because I I think a lot of people really appreciate your squash content. Just saying. I know. I know, but like, yeah, something to think about. But like, honestly, I just, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't see myself doing it because one, like squash is actually, it's not like super cheap. Um, and like, I already eat it at least for breakfast or dinner. I'm sorry, breakfast or lunch sometimes. <laughs> um, switching off between kabocha and delicata. I don't think delicata would be good in the ice no. cream. No, it would have to be like but a kabocha. honey nut or like some yeah, really sweet or those. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, like I could definitely do that, but it just seems like, I don't know. Like, and it's my not protein work. If you're already really, making it, if you're already making it and you've got it all like warm and soft or whatever, mix it with some milk and some, listen, okay audience i know but like if you're still listening if anybody (laughs) is still listening to the end of this podcast and you are deeply saddened by this turn of events and by our hard-working rachel being unwilling to make you a squash ice cream recipe write in muscle science for women at gmail.com and send us your your thoughts okay and maybe we can convince her to do it and if not maybe i'll do it i won't do it justice because i'm not that as into squash but i you know listen if rachel refuses to do us a solid maybe i will we'll see anyway it always gets spicy here at the end so that's that but i don't know why but it's just making me like making me just like not i don't know there's just something about it that i don't want to do it because i'm like all right the the squash i don't know i I just feel like i'm just going to eat the squash no matter what like it's not going to make it into the container like if there's squash there you have a problem i have have a problem problem. (laughs) i have a problem it's bad like i'm going to eat it so like it's not going to make it and and i just i just but maybe i will maybe who knows i don't know just i'm in this mood right now where i'm like I can't do that to my squash. Like I can't put it in this machine. I just need to eat it. And I see. This is, I see I'm, the love differently. People probably think I'm freaking weird. Like I, I, I mean, listen. Weird. That's why we like you. That's why we like so you. It's, it's all of our eccentricities. That's why people like 
people, right? It's not because you're like a boring, like everyone else. It's your unhealthy yeah. obsession with squash that makes us love you. But I would think if you love it and you're obsessed with it, why wouldn't you want it in like every form possible? That's what I, that's the angle yeah. I'm taking. With no, it, I know. I we'll think we'll I just let like, it simmer. We'll let it simmer for a minute. Wanna, Maybe we'll talk about it next episode yeah. and see if you've yeah. changed your tune. I'll let it simmer. I'll let it simmer. It. Let it simmer. But um, All right. our active stacks code, what's the oh, code? Yeah. You MSW10. MSW10. Hacktivestacks.com. Go crush it. Best protein powder ever. Like really. I mean, and again, like what other flavors do you need? Vanilla and chocolate. They're the two best. They're the two most versatile. You can do anything with it. Um, that's it. So thank you to our sponsors. Wait, last thing. Sorry. Oh, Have you made cookie dough? I know I suck. <laughs> cookie dough, vanilla with the active sacks. I, I forgot to tell you, I've, I made that. Like, like ice cream or actual cookie dough? So like, so cookie dough. So, okay. um, there's, you know, I don't know if you, if this is in Canada, but Enlighten, that company Enlighten makes frozen cookie dough bites. So I've if you don't this, want like yeah. the real stuff, like the real mm -hmm. sugar, you can try that, which I have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then also like Ben and Jerry's makes mm -hmm. cookie dough bites that they sell in the frozen section. Oh my God. And you Amazing. just take a few of those and put it in as a mix-in into the vanilla active sacks and you literally yes. have, or chocolate, and you have cookie dough ice cream. I did yeah. that, I think a week ago and I was like, holy crap. Yeah, see, um, that sounds so amazing. Good. I thought you were going to tell me you had a recipe for like, you know, there's all these like healthy cookie dough recipes, but like most of them are oh, chickpeas. No. And I'm like, get out of here with that. <laughs> get out of here with that. Okay. I've actually no. had chickpea cookie dough that someone else made. And like, I think if you add enough sugar, you can forget that they're chickpeas, but it's like, come on guys, come on. I made, yeah, I have no, a recipe. I, I think I have an old recipe on my website somewhere. I should find it. That is like healthier cookie dough. And by healthier, I do not mean low calorie. It's like mostly butter. Mm -hmm. I just mean it doesn't have a bunch of like garbage ingredients in it. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you want to make your own cookie dough, like that's that's not um, yeah. that's not see your abs by summer Wait. Uh, <laughs> recipes. Yeah, I have a I have a recipe too on my website um, for for homemade cookie dough, and I think I use like almond flour and stuff like yeah. that, and it like. Yeah but it actually tastes pretty good. So like okay. maybe we should have a, a little yeah. cookie dough competition. <gasps> oh yeah, let's do it. Or we can just, you know, like we can, you can try my recipe. I'll try your recipe. We'll kind of, we can chat about it next time. That yeah. would be great. We'll put it in the show notes and people can Ooh. try the recipes. I love yeah. it. I love let's it. Let's do it. Sweet. All right, guys. Thanks for cool. listening. We'll see you next week. Don't do stupid shit. And don't be insane. Bye. Bye.